I've looked forward to this time. I've been with a number of the functions of the New Canaan Society and have felt loved when I didn't deserve it and accepted. And I felt if you knew the truth, you never would have invited me. And so I'm going to talk to you about friendship this evening. And I want to start with a quote. C.S. Lewis is the only hero I have left. So if you have any dirt on C.S. Lewis, keep it to yourself. <laughs> he wrote a book called The Four Loves. And I remember when I first read this, I was absolutely blown away. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. A number of years ago, when I was teaching at a theological seminary, at a faculty meeting, we realized how many of our students were being chewed up by the church and spit out. And the faculty turned to me and said, Brown, that's up to you to fix it. So I designed a number of lectures on politics in the church, how to win the battles without losing your soul. And I lectured on, I even brought pastors in and they told their experiences and the students absolutely hated it. And they told me so. And I said, listen, you're going to be tested on this material. When you get into the church, you're going to be tested again. And the day will come when you will rise up and call me blessed. And that's what's happened. Hardly a week passes, I don't get a call from a former student who says, Dr. Brown, I hated what you said, but you saved my life and my ministry. 10% of the people in the church are the meanest Christians on the face of the earth. And the problem is they're often in leadership. And I tell the students, if you're going to minister to them, you'll get raises. You won't have any problems. There won't be any storms. And when it's your time to die, you'll say, I should have, and you will weep. If you minister to the 90%, if you care about them, you're going to face hell. And if you survive, you will have a church.
So I gave these lectures and the students needed to hear what I said. But one of the things I said in those classes is, if this gets so bad you're thinking about leaving the seminary, taking your fees with you, and I can't be paid, then raise your hand and I'll tell you some good things about the church. <laughs> one of the students one time raised his hand and said, Dr. Brown, this is getting really, really dark. Say some good things. And I did. And I surprised myself by getting emotional. I didn't talk about building programs or elders or deacons or conferences or Bible or religion or prayer. I talked about people. I talked about friends. The friends who loved me when I was unlovable, who cut slack for me when I screwed it up. I remember the men in my church when my brother, my closest friend died. He was the district attorney in North Carolina, probably be the governor today if he'd lived. And I died. I went home to bury my brother and I looked around me and the people of the church had driven all that way just to be with me and to love me. I remember when I sinned publicly and thought my ministry was over and the people in the church gave me a standing ovation. I remember being so afraid and being hugged and I, and I remember the women who baked cookies for me and who loved me when there was no reason to do that. The Christian faith is about a lot of things. If you're not saved, if you're not redeemed, you ought to fix it this weekend. It's not a good place to be. It's about theology. We could discuss the Graf Wellhausen documentary hypothesis. But at heart, it's about us. And it's about friends. Let me, let me share a couple of verses with you. I just want you to know I didn't make this stuff up. I'm a Bible teacher. And I believe every word of this book. But let me share with you, uh, if I can get here. Listen, I'm old. I'm doing the best I can, okay? In the third letter of John, there's an unusual thing that happens. If you read the letters of Paul or John or Peter, there's always something about grace. There's always something about family. There's always something about brothers. But John, in this little tiny letter, said something really interesting. And let me read it to you. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. 
greet the friends by name. And then, and I'm sure none of you have a Bible with you, but in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, John, the same John, writes some things about Jesus that are really interesting. And this is what Jesus says in that 15th chapter. He's just talked about being the vine and we're the branches. And we can't do anything without him, period. And then he says this, and it's almost straying from what he had said before. Listen to this. Greater love hath no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and you're my friends. It's interesting that both John and Jesus would use that word. When family maybe would have been better, church would have been more sophisticated, brothers and sisters would have worked, but they both chose to say friend. And John says in that third letter of his, greet the friends by name. And if you know what the Bible teaches about names, it teaches that the name is the essence, the reality of the person who is named. And someday we're going to have a new name in heaven. And if you know somebody's name, you have power over them. And so John, both in reporting what Jesus said and in writing to his friends, said, I don't want to text you. I don't want to be with you on Facebook. I don't want to look at you on a computer screen. I want to be with you face to face. Greet the friends by name. I have a friend whose name is Lee Clower, and he's a former. He spells his name like a girl's. He's a fighter pilot, formerly, and big and mean. And if you're going to spell your name like a girl's name, you better be big and mean. It's kind of like a boy named Sue. But Lee has stood with me in so many places and so many times. And recently he sent me a text and he said, Jesus will redeem you. Jesus will change you. Jesus will get you home before the dark. But this is your friend Lee. And all I can say is, I love you and I'll be your friend. Somebody said that a friend, if you kill somebody, will forgive you. But a real friend will help you bury the body. <laughs> when, when Kingsley, who was uh, the famous English actor, was asked for the reason for his long and productive life, he referred to Hallowsby and he said something simple and powerful and beautiful. He smiled at the reporters and said, I, I had a friend. You're fortunate to have me tonight. You really are, and it's not because I'm smart or so good looking or wise or spiritual, but I'm old. 
I'm really old. And if you want to know the truth about anything, ask somebody who's old. When I was younger, I would have tried to impress you. And now I don't give a rip. <laughs> when I... When I was younger, I was trying to climb the career ladder. I was looking to serve a mega church and write another book so I could be famous. But with Aquinas at the end of his life, I know now it's all dust. And I don't give a rip. You may not like anything that I teach you tonight. And you know what? I don't care. <laughs> But I'm, but I'm old, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Everybody in this room has a secret. And if you were forced to stand up now and share that secret with everybody else in this room, you would be so embarrassed you couldn't stay for the rest of this conference. When my father died, I was speaking for a group of five Presbyterian churches in Tennessee, and I just fell apart when they told me about my daddy. And a, and a pastor who must have weighed 300 pounds reached out and grabbed me and enfolded me in his hug. And he said, son, remember this and use it. Every time you speak to 10 people, seven of them will have a broken heart. I know you guys. You look very spiritual and together. You laugh at the right time. You sing good. Man, there's nothing better than a group of hairy men singing songs of praise. That's so good. But I know your loneliness. I know the middle of the night when the demons come. I know that some of you have been marginalized and some of you have been hurt and lied about. I know it hurts. I was in Nashville two or three years ago to speak at Ray Ortland, my friend's church. He wanted me to do a grace conference. And the best thing about that three-day conference wasn't anything that I said, but what he said on Sunday morning in the invocation of Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. He had been kicked out of two churches. It had been dark and difficult, and he said, I'm going to build a church for nobodies. I'm going to build a church for the brokenhearted. I'm going to build a church for ragamuffins, and he did, and that sucker exploded. And I, before I got up to speak, he did the invocation. And I looked out over that big auditorium with all those people, and he said, listen up. If you sinned and you think God's through with you, if you've been marginalized by your friends and other churches, if you're lonely if you're afraid, if you have doubts in the middle of the night and you're not even sure that there's a God, then Jesus says, welcome. You're in the right place. 
We forget sometimes, don't we? Because we're wearing masks. We'd rather talk about our business. Pretend we're successful and everything's together. And it's not. And you know it. And I know it. And I'm telling you the truth because I don't care. So, for just a few minutes, let's talk about friendship. And the first thing you ought to note about friendship is the foundation of friendship. Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and you're my friends. I always knew Jesus loved me when I was a kid. I sang, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> I mean, that's his job description. I mean, Jesus is supposed to love us. That's what he does. My question is, does he love me? Does he want me to be around? When we get home, I'll introduce you to my father. It's good to have James' father here. I'll introduce you to my father. He was not a good person. He was a womanizer. He was an alcoholic. He's the best pool shark in western North Carolina. He could sometimes be mean, but he loved me without reservation. I mean, totally and completely. At his funeral, my brother and I, and they lined up to come into the funeral home. And so many people said, do you boys know? My brother was the lawyer and I was the preacher. And our daddy used to show our pictures. And he would say, that one's a lawyer and that one's a preacher. And no matter what problem I have, one of them can get me out of it. <laughs> he was so proud of us and he loved us so deeply. I remember... By the way, stolen cherry pie tastes better than the ones you buy. <laughs> I was a paper boy for years. In those days, they stacked up food boxes at supermarkets, and nobody watched it. And when they opened up, they brought the boxes in and put them up on the shelves. And there were cherry pies. In those days, people were nice, but I wasn't. Honest, but I wasn't. I mean, cherry pie. I'd do almost anything for cherry pies, so we stole the cherry pies, and we'd be sitting around folding papers and eating stolen cherry pie, and some of the other guys would say, if my dad finds out about this, I'm history. And I remember even thinking then, if my father finds out about this, he'll love me. And that's worse. I remember reading that Jesus said, if you then being equal, evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven? And I went, hot dog. I've got it made. And God gave me my Father so I could understand something about him my father couldn't have a party unless I was there. And neither can Jesus. My father knew the worst things. I remember almost blowing up an old lady with a firebomb. 
And he loved me anyway, just like Jesus. My father knew the times when I screwed it up bad and should have gone to jail, and he loved me anyway. Brendan Manning has a wonderful story from a play about a guy who gets really irritated with God, and he goes out in the desert, gets a tent, and he just sulks. And uh, God comes, and oh, his name's Gideon. God comes and absolutely overwhelms him. <laughs> and Gideon turns giddy, and he starts dancing, and he says, Hey, God, tell me you love me. And God says, Gideon, I love you. And Gideon danced some more, and he said, God, tell me again that you love me. And God said, Gideon. I love you. And then he said, hey, God, tell me why you love me. And there's dead silence. And God says, I have no idea. <laughs> there's something that is unreasonable about my love. <laughs> if you're having trouble making friends, don't read the Bible. That's not going to help. Prayer might help, but probably not, because the ones you'll ask to pray for you are about as spiritual as you are. If you're having trouble making real friends, bury the body kind of friends, what should you do? Nothing. Just let Jesus love you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done, who you've slept with, what you've been drinking or smoking, who you've hurt, the dark places that you've visited. Go to him. And just be still and let him love you. And then the second thing you ought to know, and it follows on the first, is the struggle for friendship. <laughs> this is not an easy thing. Friendship doesn't just happen. It's hard sometimes. <laughs> you ever had been, you ever been betrayed by a friend? Boy, I have. And I was absolutely devastated. If you're going to be a friend, you've got to take off the armor. You've got to be honest. And you can't do that unless you know you're loved. Goodness. Friendship. That is in response to religion is reward. You can only be loved when you're not lovable. And it's a struggle, and it's hard. A number of years ago, I read a book by a man who's not a Christian by the name of Gerard. And he, he wrote a book titled Transparent Self. And in that, he talked about soul swapping. If I'm going to be a friend of James, 
And we don't know each other to be safe with each other yet. We're just beginning to do that. But maybe, maybe sometime when we're sitting around, I'll give him a little bit of my soul and see how he treats it. And if he treats it well, maybe he'll give me a little bit of his soul. And then maybe because he treated my soul so well, I'll give him a little bit more of mine. And then maybe he'll give me some more of his until pretty soon the mask is gone. The reality is there. And I'll have at least one man who knows everything about me, who forgives me and loves me. But that's scary. Guys, to be honest with you, I'm a loner. I'd be a monk and go to a monastery if they had let me bring my wife, but they won't let me do that. <laughs> I used to say from the pulpit, there's nothing wrong with this church that I couldn't fix with a few funerals. And they would laugh. <laughs> They thought I was joking. <laughs> I used to say, Lord, I could do this job if it weren't for all these people. They're twits and turkeys. They're angry and they're critical and they're condemning. Could you let me do something else like vinyl repair? I'm a loner, but let me tell you something. I've learned I can't do this unless I'm willing to price, pay the price, of soul sharing. Are you lonely? Me too. And I'm ordained. Are you sometimes scared spitless? Me too. Do you look at the Ukraine and think we're going to all die? Me too. Do you have secrets you can't share? Me too. Is your heart sometimes broken and you hide it and tell people you're doing fine? Me too. Now, maybe we can be friends. And then, and I'm gonna cover these last two points quickly. There's a risk in friendship I told you I'd been betrayed by a friend. I never had that happen before except once. A lot of acquaintances have betrayed me. A lot of acquaintances have pretended to be my friends, lied about me, and stuck a knife in my back. I've experienced that a whole lot, but never betrayed by a real bury-the-body friend. He stole 75 thousand dollars from the ministry that I have. And on top of that, he lied about it. He told me the check was in the mail. I know that's a cliche, but that's what he said. He gave me a tracking number and it was all lies, every bit of it. When I found about it on Friday, I thought to myself, I'm going to kill him. And then Saturday, I said, Lord, that would hurt my reputation. So you kill him. <laughs> and then on Monday, and I surprised myself, 
I found myself weeping for my friend. What was he going through that would cause him to go down that road? And I called him, told him I loved him. And I said, if I ever betray you, I hope you'll call me and tell me that you love me. And then there's a result of friendship. In the first chapter of Acts, you'll remember the first commandment that Jesus gave his disciples was, be still. Told them to go to Jerusalem and don't do anything, wait for the power. And for days and weeks, that's all they did. They went back to Jerusalem. They were still, and the scholars will tell you why, but I know the real reason. Jesus knew that this was a big task, just as yours is. And Jesus knew they couldn't do it if they weren't friends, and that they couldn't be friends unless they spent time together. And so it was the power of the Spirit, of course, but it was friendship also. Because Jesus knows that everybody who belongs to Jesus belongs to everybody who belongs to Jesus. And I'm stuck with you. Even if I don't like it. And you're stuck with me even if you don't like it. If we get what I taught you this evening with the vulnerability and the openness and the radical nature of what it creates in us, guys, we're going to be dangerous. Pagans, have a, pagans are bored with us, and I'm bored with us too. We say nice things to nice people to make those nice people nicer. We smile all the time. We have cliches that we use, and nothing is the radical nature of the first century. The reason the church exploded then is because, listen to me, they were friends. I have a friend, named Ken Smith. He's a Baptist preacher, and he's as old as I am. We meet every Christmas just to make sure one of us hasn't died. <laughs> he was... He was telling me the other day, one of his best friends is an African-American pastor who's as old as we are. I wish I could remember his name, but I don't remember. Uh, Ken told me, said they were sitting around one evening, and he said to his friend, he said, uh, what, are you, what are you looking forward to when you get to heaven? And, and Ken, and he matches his voice, oh, Ken, I can hardly wait to get home. What I'm really looking forward to is, is the time when Jesus picks up the church and shakes her in front of Satan and Jesus will say, that's all I had. And I still kicked your butt. 
We can change the world. There are enough people in this room to do that. But you, but you can't do it by yourself. So make sure during these days you make some friends who will help you bury the body. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you're up for reading, make sure you click articles in the main menu of the app to check out the latest from Steve and all your favorite Key Life voices. Thank you.